welcome to Real ROI, the podcast for Australian marketing and automation with your hosts, Miles Agnew and Philip Parises. And welcome everyone to Real ROI, episode five with your host, me, Philip Parises and Miles Agnew. How's it going, Phil? How's your week been? Uh, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, thank God everything's fine. Everything's running. Uh, the websites are running right. Uh, are running right. Uh, clients are running right. Everything's perfect. Um, it's been the perfect week. Better than last week we spoke. That's for sure, Miles. Oh, excellent. So um, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about freemium. And uh, what, what are you talking about, Phil? I'm talking about converting. Um, I'm converting people that have been to your website before and making sure uh, that when they come back, they buy, and uh, just general conversions as such. So basically, people that are coming in for the first time, where are things uh, placed in, say, a shopping cart, let's say, and uh, making them buy the first time. Yeah, awesome. And we've also got our first user voicemail asking us a question about uh, that relates to conversions. It um, does. It does. It does relate to conversions, and um, it's based on how many uh, how many um, fields you should use in a form. Yes. Uh, that's from Ray Wood, and we'll okay. We'll catch up on that later. Or we'll mention it later, and we'll go from there. All right. So I'm going to talk about freemium. Uh, for people that don't know what freemium is, it's offering a service for free, and then having a premium service as a paid. Service. So a good example of this, uh, Autoresponder MailChimp offers a free service that has basic functionality. If you want more functionality, you pay for it. And, and it's a very good service, by the way. Even the free service to the extended service, MailChimp does, uh, does what it says on the packet, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and it integrates with just about everything you want it to. So uh, the other examples would be WordPress.com. They do a basic blog. They host it for you. If you wanted a domain name, they charge you 13 bucks. They connect it all up for you. There are some other, I guess the biggest one and the most lucrative one is um, Mega Upload. Mega Upload was the uh, largest file sharing uh, system on the based on the web. And uh, the way it worked was the pro- the Basically, the problem is that you can't send large files via email. Uh, you've done this before, Phil, haven't you? Done graphic work, you can't just stick it in an email and attach it. It doesn't happen, that's for sure. Yeah, so what, so what Mega Upload did, they designed a web interface where you could upload your files and send your customer the link. And once your customer got the link, they could download the file. Now, Mega Upload was a little bit different. It went a little bit viral, and they had advertising to help pay for it. So they had a free service where you could upload X amount of megabytes to the service, and uh, X amount of people could download before you go to a premium service. Now, this has generated millions of dollars for the person now called Kim.com, and it's it started on a very simple mechanism of offering something free and then having an upgrade service where you pay more for it and people once they usually um, get dependency on it or like it uh, enough to want to upgrade um, it, it, it totally blows out of the water I guess the biggest one I've seen in uh, in the last two years would be Dropbox it's 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 blown out of the water it is pretty big uh, Dropbox is pretty big mega upload was pretty big when it was running. I'm not sure if it's still running. Is it still running, Mars? No, it's not at the moment. Uh, he's been closed down. Yeah, he's launching a new uh, music service. Mm-hmm. So what this will do is allow artists to publish via the, uh, the type of mega upload system. Uh, the only catch with uh, like freemium services, you've got to make sure that your terms and conditions are correct. 
um, that you know that your users understand what what's acceptable, what content they can publish to your service, whether it be you know file uploading, you're, you're doing uh, free web hosting, or you're doing some other sort of free service, and people interact. You want to make sure that your terms and conditions are correct and are legal in your country. Yep, I, I think one of the major downfalls of Mega Upload was, was all these um, software piracy sites, movie piracy sites that were taking advantage of the freemium service, uh, which, which let's face it, happens often uh, on freemium services of even hosting, not only Mega Upload, I guess, even Dropbox probably suffers from the same thing, but it's probably a little bit more controlled, Dropbox, but uh, I'm, I'm guessing there's still a lot of um, uh, pirated movies or software you're hanging around Dropbox at the moment. Yeah, the the funny thing about Mega Upload was, and I don't know why they were targeted. They actually had a system where the video, uh, the movie companies could go in and do a search for files. Yep, they and, did, and that was um, that was actually their own. Sorry, what I, what I read was they actually uh, created that system for the movie. Uh, I guess the a piracy team to log in and have their own access to do whatever they want on their database. Yeah, that's right. And that was Mega Upload giving it to them, not them. Yeah, they weren't searching for it. That's exactly right. Mega yeah. Upload offered them the service. Yeah, and I think that's uh, the what <laughs> I think that was part of their undoing because they saw how much was being uploaded and just couldn't spend the time and resources into it. But it doesn't matter what system you're on, whether it be, you know, Mega Upload, Usenet, there's so many different platforms that piracy happens on. And as a content creator, what you want to do is have some security in place, whether it be watermarks or whatever, but don't necessarily worry about people pirating your product because the way I look at it, if someone's pirating my product, it's either two things. They haven't got the money for the product and they've got a lot of time. Now, if they've got a lot of time, going through the product may help them, but on the other flip side is the other person that is like that is they don't have a lot of time and don't have a lot of money so they're searching for the downloads and when they get the downloads they don't have enough time to implement so it's you know it's a pointless task so um yeah that's something to be aware of as a content owner um not to worry about piracy too much but just you know have watermarks and basic security on your on your stuff yeah for our software developers out there i guess um and they don't want their software to be out on the market without people paying for it i've recently helped a software company to overcome this and basically they were spending over 30 to 35 grand a year uh trying to avoid piracy and um the way they were doing it they had a service that uh, that obviously had a licensing ser server that was uh, supplying licenses um, as people ordered. And from there, just managing that whole process of the order process to the licensing server became a nightmare. Even hosting the marketing, uh, the sorry, the licensing server started costing a lot of money because it had to be on all the time. It had to be obviously in the cloud. It, it needed maintenance, constant maintenance. And every time their software updated, they needed to update the licensing server with uh, different protocols and codecs. Uh, what they decided to do is actually release uh, the software in a way that you can't get support for it unless you paid for it. So all the support is behind a paid membership site. So you can have the software. The software is only as good as how you use it and how much you know how to use of the software. So what they did is put all the support behind the membership site they, they let the program still getting, you have to pay for the program, obviously, but what would happen is a lot of people that actually 
downloaded and they could track the people that have downloaded the software legally because they put a certain um, trail and um, what they found is uh, 25% of people um, and actually it, and the actual sales went up 25% uh, higher than before when they actually were trying to secure and obviously their costs went down because they took away the licensing server and put everything behind a membership site. Yeah, nice. I, I probably would have put the app in the web so you'd had to log into the website and only have it deployed from there. Yeah, and that's and that's the next move. They're actually putting everything in the cloud so everything's going to sit behind the membership site. It just wasn't feasible at that this time because the app does take a lot of resources, um, video editing and converting apps. So, um, so it was a bit hard. It would have taken a lot of instances of a cloud to actually be able to do something like that um, with this actual software. Nice. So um, that, that's basically freemium and um, what's On our that, next topic? Well, just back to the freemium, one of the things you did mention which was very interesting that I think we should uh, talk about just briefly is um, once again, Mega Upload, let's remind everyone, just like Facebook, they don't have, uh, they, they just created a platform that people can upload their own content, people can upload their own pictures, their own music, whatever they needed. They just provided a platform and they were making big bucks from a platform. All the, all the information is user generated. Let's not forget that. Exactly like Facebook, build a platform that people can use and people will come and it will, will go viral and you will make money. Yeah, as long as it's something new. Uh, like you can even, I've seen clones of obviously Mega Upload. There's quite a few clones of that. Uh, there's quite a few clones of Facebook and there's, you know, multiple sites that have clones of them. But if you can get in the market when it's something new and fresh that no one else is doing, uh, the more likelihood of you um, expanding is, is greater, like becoming a successor success making it successful and a successful um platform most important thing making it a successful platform yeah i mean ebay is a good example of that of course ebay is a perfect example of that including all its even some of its um copies out there so i guess gumtree is one of those copies um still working very well making a lot of money yeah uh, using a free model too yeah, remember probably in the 1990s, there was like four different auction places. Yahoo had an auction. In mm -hmm. Australia, we had like GoFish. Uh, there was sold.com.au and then there was eBay. So there was like four just in Australia um, for that type of service. The only one that's left standing, I believe, is eBay. The rest have been bought out by eBay or merged with another service. So... Exactly. So um, they're all gone, but in a, in another form, still around. Yeah, that's right, and that's what you want to do. Um, I I don't know about you, but my um, usual plan is like two or three years, and then have an exit strategy sort of thing. I don't sit on things for longer than three years. Which is a perfect plan. I build everything so it can be sold. Yep. So, which is very interesting, very important for everyone out there with small business. Um, if you can't sell it and replace yourself, so basically if it's a service-orientated business that you're running as your own, so you're going to consult to clients or do work for the clients and you can't replace yourself, what, what the problem you have there is you can't sell it onto someone because it's dependent on you. And once you can't sell something onto someone, it's not worth It's not worth a lot of money because you can't get it out of your hands basically yeah that's right and i guess that's why mcdonald's is probably the the largest because they have systems in place and 
when you buy a McDonald's franchise, you're not just buying, you know, into the name. You're buying the systems that they use, and that's what I, I teach a lot of my uh, customers and clients is to have systems in place for everything, so you can hand a person a manual or show them a video, and they understand your business process. Exactly, and uh, we know how much uh, how seriously you take your systems, Miles, and your processes. That's for sure in your business. So, um, what are we going to talk about now? I believe you've got an interesting topic about com um, conversions and split testing. Yep, um, basically conversions and split testing. We did mention split testing uh, in our last episode. What I, the conversions I'm actually talking about is cut conversions. So, when people are ready to buy from you, what sort of things are stopping them from buying? And um, when you can, if you can see someone on the cart page and they're about to press process or they're about to press um, the, uh, press the digits of the credit card into the keyboard to buy from you. What, what elements are stopping people from uh, going forward and what elements are actually helping people go forward? Some of the things I have learned recently uh, about people's behavior, especially buying online, is People need to trust you before they put in their credit card and make a purchase from you. I know this sounds so obvious, but many merchants, uh, many people who are offering websites don't understand the meaning of someone's putting their credit card into a website that they don't know much about, that they've been there maybe twice or three times before, and all of a sudden, they have to make a psychological decision, I guess, to put in their credit card and purchase something from you. So like any sales page, I guess, and any good copywriter, you need to make sure you cover everyone's objections on that sales page. And of course, at the same time, make it as easy as possible to purchase from that page. Certain things I'm talking about is um, trust logos. For example, that your website's secure. That's one very important thing. Who processes the credit card for you? Uh, could be PayPal, could be your merchant, could be ANZ, St. George, Commonwealth, NAB. Uh, having a logo somewhere at the top or the bottom always helps, even uh, right next to the purchase button, telling people that your site is secure. Even the text, your, the, this site is 100% secure, actually helps that process. And I've found some interesting uh, information, information recently that um, even testimonials under the page actually also helps people move into a buying stage, into a buying feeling and feeling good about their purchase. Because you have to reassure people that, they, that it's okay to buy from you, that you're trustworthy, that these are your conditions, we'll send you the parcel in four days or three days, you'll get shipping uh, for free, etc. So there's nothing that would stop them from buying from you today. That's the most important thing. It's buying from you today. Yeah, and I, I guess the biggest question I have, and I've had heaps of customers ask, is I've seen a lot of marketers use a three-step cart process. I personally only use a one-step. Uh, it could be classified too, so you have your details, what you want, and then it goes straight to PayPal or the where you enter your credit card. I've seen uh, ones where they enter your email address, goes to another page where it's got your order, press confirm your order, and then type in your credit card details. Which one works? Well, I can I know from my experience and my client's experience that um, the one-page checkout always outconverts out the multi-step checkouts. Uh, what, what you'll find is every time you switch this page, it's another hurdle for people to go through. It's another thing for them to read. 
If you can make that four-step process, that three-step process into the one page using a one-page checkout. So, for example, you can use maybe uh, the one-page checkouts normally look like three columns on the same page. On the left, you have your details and your shipping information. In the middle, you have like, choose a shipping option. And the next frame is basically enter your credit card information and a nice big green uh, button at the bottom to purchase now. That's the best way to increase conversions. And for the people that don't have multiple step checkouts, I should say, and don't have one um, one page checkout, uh, you can use Google Analytics to actually check the conversions, how how many step people go through in your website, in your e-commerce before they drop out. And I guarantee you, if you remove those three steps and you have only one step, the conversions will go up. There's only one way they can go, and that's up. They will never, ever go down. I guarantee that. Yeah, nice. I, I guess from my point of view is I just look at what eBay's doing, you know, those deal day uh, sites, because they're doing, obviously, thousands of transactions a day. And I look at theirs, and theirs is no more than a two-step process. So if you can go better than that, then obviously it's going to convert better. Exactly, and uh, let's not forget Amazon. Use Amazon as a perfect example for most of the things you're doing. Even though Amazon does have, I think it's a two-step process at the moment, uh, that's because they're trying to aggregate so many different uh, membership levels um, into the one area, but they do do everything well. Uh, Another thing for people that have actually left your site at the shopping cart site, I mention this all the time, an abandoned cart email to send out to the people and offer them something to come back to your site. So that's basically increasing your conversions because you would have lost that person anyway. They're putting their, their email address, let's say, they've, they've put in their um, name, and, um, but they didn't finish off um, with the credit card details and they just left, left the page. So what you have with the uh, abandoned card is it sends them an email, sends them the, what they had in the shopping cart and say, hey, if you want to come back today and complete this transaction, press this link. It will take you straight back to the shopping cart site will have the information and the product inside ready to go plus 10% discount on top so they can complete the purchase today. Yeah, nice. And I, I guess that really seals the deal for a lot of people because, you know, you've got an incentive to go back but you might have got distracted during the transaction. Something might have happened, phone call or whatever, had to move along to something else on your computer and just forgot about it. And it happens, it happens often. I mean, I know I go to carts and I start off with a transaction. I'm about to take the credit card out. The phone rings, the mobile rings. Someone's calling me, someone's emailing me, and I get distracted. And, you know, I really want those Superman underwear, but I forgot to buy them. Oh, nice. So uh, that's pretty, pretty cool about conversions. Now, Ray... Ray Wood? Yeah, asked a great question about, mainly he was talking about squeeze pages, landing pages. Yep. Now, th- these are the pages where you get your customers or visitors to enter in some details and you email them. So um, you have your take on it, Phil, and then we'll have a discussion about <laughs> what, what, what works for you and what works for me because I think we're quite different on this part. Yeah, we, I mean, we do think differently. I think like a marketer and uh, you're more technically um, inclined, I should say. Um, and what, what I would do personally, the, the question is if you have a squeeze page or a landing page or any sort of page, I guess, even a service page that you're trying to get people in to maybe trial your service, um, what you'll find is the less information you have, uh, um, sorry, the less fields you have, 
the more the more people are inclined to uh, go ahead and complete the form. For example, what I would do in a squeeze page situation, if I was giving someone an ebook or a free video series of some sort, I'll just ask them for their email address. Because what you're doing, people get the more and more information they're giving you, the more and more trust um, has to be built. Right, so exactly like the conversions, if they don't trust you, they won't. They won't give you their credit card details. They won't give you their name. They won't give you their number because they don't trust you. Same thing with a landing page. You land someone from say uh, PPC or Facebook. Yeah, you have a nice sales letter. Yeah, the offer is irresistible. But if you're there to put your first name, last name, uh, mobile number, your wife's mobile number, and how many kids you have, it's. I just don't believe it's going to convert. You bring them in with an email address only, you push them through the funnel and you guide them to a survey. With the survey, you can find out how they heard about you. So you get information of, I know a lot of people ask, uh, oh, I don't know where people came from and I don't want to ask them my form because they, I think the more fields, uh, people are dropping off at that field. So ask them later on with a survey. Um, I mean, and once they go through and buy your product, then you have all the information so you don't need to um, try and get as much as possible from them at the top of the funnel where you can slowly slowly gather and make a profile your a customer profile out of that person for the down in the funnel that's why I think about it let's argue what do you think about it Miles? <laughs> okay well a similar approach I use a like an email address to um, get people in and then the second approach is if uh, the download or whatever I've sent them if they want to get more information or how to activate it better they need to fill in a survey or a form uh, that has a little bit more detail. I also embed some technology that tells me what country they're from, uh, what browser they're using and that, that sort of good stuff so I can work out where my demographics are. And I don't ask whether they're male or female. I actually um, can guess by the responses and by the way they, they look at stuff. So... Um, especially in different markets where you're doing, say, for example, my game um, landing page. I knew that 90% or 95% of those people were going to be blokes in between the ages of 15 and 25. It didn't go right to 30 because this game was, wasn't was mature. It was like a 15-plus sort of game. Yep, okay. Um, the details I got were obviously the IP address of their, you know, what browser they're using, and then uh, gave them some free content like the video and got a little bit more information about what platform are they on, so whether they're on PC, Xbox, or PS3, and their name to tell them, the, you know, the best place to buy this game when it comes out. And once you get to that stage, you've actually got to give before you can get that sort of uh, information it's not like you can it's it's a bit like going to a party and you know you're trying to seduce the girl across the room you don't just walk up to her and say hey what's your name and number it just doesn't work you've got to have ask her for a name you've got to start a conversation and then eventually by you know three or four hours of conversation you might ask her for a number um, yeah it really depends is this uh, dating advice or is this about are we still on the sales <laughs> landing pages? And it, 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 it's the same process. If you if you think about it, 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 it's how you want to be treated as a person. You want these people that are coming to your site uh, to treated with respect. So um, if they enter an email address, give them something free straight away. Don't um, a good example 
or very actually a bad example I saw that was on Facebook this um, advertisement said free DVD from this business coach blah 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 it wasn't a DVD it was a digital download of a video which wasn't congruent with the message that they were stating it said mm-hmm. it was a DVD exactly other... so it's creating a disconnect instantly yeah. yeah the problem was they wanted your name and number and a couple of things which I didn't have a problem with the problem I had was for to get the digital download their autoresponder wouldn't give it to me until 48 hours later after they rang me four times yes so, so it was a lead form for a telemarketer yeah so I created a very disconnect it didn't create any trust I un- I unliked it on Facebook and I've blocked their advertising uh, on Facebook as a result because I just wanted to know what it was about I really didn't want to talk to anyone because um, it you know ringing me up in during the day when I'm working with clients is not a good thing no one likes to get sales pitched um, if you've got something interesting and people are interested it's better for them to call you than you to call them because yep. that the logic is and this goes with any type of marketing. Is logic is if you can get customers to come to you, um, it's a lot better than you going to the customer. The power shifts. I mean, you don't see uh, Apple going door to door selling uh, iPads, and there's a reason for that because they create a product. Uh, it's a great product. They go to these stores and they queue up for hours because people want them. And if your product's good or your DVD or whatever's good and it's good information and other people hear about it, they're going to be downloading it and and it just goes viral. Exactly. And you don't care if people um, share the video. Uh, that's one of the other things that we talked about before about the, the software or the digital downloads from Mega Upload. If people are sharing it and people are listening to it, that means you've got an interested market. If they have money or not, that's a different story. Yeah, but you know they they will go in your list because they then you start building up a sort of authority on um, what you do and you know you become um, you become pretty knowledgeable. Yeah, I I had a um a, a free offer that I offered um for one of my websites. It was a review site and it offered all these bonus stuff. And what happened was it got shared on a forum, the link, and it got downloaded something like three thousand times in a day didn't really phase me um obviously the bandwidth it was a like a 100 meg file so the bandwidth was fairly high so what i did was just change the file name so they'd stop downloading it and go through the opt-in form um but other than that it created more sales on the affiliate offer because the links were all embedded into the product or the free offer that i offered and yeah so that worked out really well and i i think if with things like Mega Upload, and if they shared it like that on the forum, I would have been a lot more okay with it than it directly linking to my website, and it wouldn't have worried me. Exactly, and they're taking up all the um, downloads, etc. Yeah, that's right. It's, com- so, it's coming from them directly, so they're basically hosting uh, your your opt-in your opt-in product, and then when people go go there to um, basically, uh, I guess, steal your opt-in product, um, they still have the affiliate link. So if they're interested, they actually buy. Yeah, that's right. And yep. that's the thing. You people are the internet's full of distrust at the moment, and social media is probably a big example of. Um, you've probably seen some email message uh, or Twitter messages saying, you know, look what blah blah is saying about you. That's yep. a sort of bait and switch sort of um, stuff that scammers are using to get you to click on a link. 
try and get your login details and stuff like that, and it's creating a lot of disconnects. So I can understand why people are that way inclined. They don't just trust everyone straight up. Yeah, and and they and they shouldn't on the internet. You, no, you have to be very smart on the internet. That not very smart, just very like you're street smart. You got to be internet smart at the same time. It's uh, it's almost being like street smart. You know, just got to be careful on the internet. You never know who you get, who's on the other side. Yeah. So um, with with what you said, I just want to go back. I I know you did mention uh your dating strategy. Let me call you let me call it the dating strategy, right? Uh, recently, I heard someone say that you don't want to be a blue light disco on a landing page. Try and get in there a couple of quick fill. You have to romance and take them out. Yeah, I think that means that that is one of the best things I've heard in a long time when it comes to a landing page. Yeah, definitely. It's got to be got to offer them something that they want and something that they desire because no one's gonna like I see it all the time with these new marketers that have headline this is going to make you a million dollars any your email address here and click yeah uh, this is going to make you a million dollars and it costs 47 dollars to buy, well, well, buy that's, now. that's on the next page usually. <laughs> yeah, that's right so they get your email address oh by the way it's going to cost you 47 bucks and this is what you need to do. Mm, of course. Okay, excellent. Um, I think we covered uh, some good topics. For everyone out, out there listening to the podcast, don't forget you can uh, listen to our podcast by subscribing. Don't forget to leave your your comments on, on iTunes or on our website. Uh, you can also leave a voicemail on our website at realroi.pro. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to... Um, help you out answer questions or we can help you out maybe on conversions and websites so send us your website over and we'll give you some advice what are we talking about next week miles um i think i was going to talk about uh the a little bit more about email marketing more in the uh, the unsubscribed space um i'm seeing a lot of uh, newbies getting caught in the spam complaint and how to get people unsubscribed and getting the message clear how they got onto your list I mean it's really important I'm I'm seeing all these uh, Facebook pages about people complaining that they're getting listed as spammers when they're just it's just a couple of little tricks that you need to do and your users will understand completely awesome uh, what I'm gonna be talking about is actually becoming an authority on forums and what I do and replicate myself what seems a thousand times and I actually know someone's made a product out of this recently Miles something I didn't mention to you uh, who basically asked me how I'm everywhere at the same time and uh, uh, eight months later he has a whole product on it which is uh, I guess um, I guess it's flattering that he used some of my advice and turned it into a product which is awesome He's not a client, just someone off a forum. Yeah, I'll be talking about that in uh, in my own way, of course, how I do it and how I basically replicate myself and answer multiple posts. I think, Miles, you might have actually found me off a web hosting um, forum when we first started talking. Yeah, definitely, right? yeah. Yeah, and that's the strategy I started, uh, and that strategy has been how long? 2002, 2001? Yeah, 2002, that's yeah. Yeah, that's how that's how I started with everything and how I built an authority up in the hosting game um, using this method. So don't forget to tune in uh, next week for episode six. Oh my god, episode six, awesome! All right, until then, don't forget to check out our website, realroi.pro. Perfect. See you guys. See ya. 
for listening to Real ROI. For more information and transcripts of the show, visit the podcast website at www.realroi.pro.